Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! So, Genesis, here we are, starting where it all began. Uh, Genesis is an amazing book because everybody can trace everything back into Genesis, right? It's where everything started. Uh, it's, a, it's a book that literally takes us back to the, the beginning of time. But it's also a book, though, that's got a lot of pain in it. It's also a book that's got a lot of the miraculous in it. It's got a very human story set going right along the line. It could, because you've got people in here that are, like, some of them really want to follow God, but they are a train wreck, right? And sometimes it can feel like that personally. Like, man, I just want to follow you, Lord, but I keep getting in my own way. And you're seeing a lot of that in the book of Genesis. And there's a very real connection to life in the book of Genesis. And I think it's really, really important to get a good grasp of this book, not just because it's the first book of the Bible, but because when God put things together, he said, this is the very first thing I want you to hear about me. Like if you start at the beginning, which a lot of people do, right? Our New Year's resolution, I'm going to make it through the Bible this year. And then you get to like Leviticus and it's like, Jesus, maybe I'll just go to the New Testament, Jesus. You know where my heart's at, Lord. You know where my heart's at, Lord. You know, and then we get all discouraged, and it's like, oh, man, I never make it past Leviticus. But, you know, but there's a, there's a reason, though, that there's something that we all, I, it doesn't matter who I talk to, even if they're a new believer or if they've not ever picked up a Bible, uh, I can ask somebody that has no real background, and I can say, hey, where do you want to start? Like, here's this Bible. Let's get started, like, exploring God. Where, where would you think you would start? And they're like, oh, maybe at the beginning in Genesis? Because it's like, we just think it's like a book, right? Like it's just one book. Um, but really, it's 66 books. And what I love about Genesis is that what you see happening in this book is something that echoes across the entire Bible. All 66 books written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors, several different continents, three different languages. And you have it all started right here in the book of Genesis. And the things that are said here, the promises that are made, are going to echo through the Old Testament. They're going to echo through the New Testament. They're going to find their hope and fruition in Jesus Christ. But the story doesn't end there. What you see happening in Genesis, where not just creation began, but also the story of humanity. You see sin. You see all these things, the plan of God for salvation of mankind. It all begins right here in Genesis. And ultimately, it's going to land in the book of Revelation. Some of the cool things that I want to pull out during this series in the book of Genesis is to look at some of these promises and say, look how there's this beautiful and powerful reflection in the book of Revelation, right? Because sometimes you're like, oh, it's all disconnected. I'm not really sure how it fits together. One of the things that I want to do in the, in the series of Genesis is take just chunks at a time, right? Eight weeks or so at a time to be able to look at these parts all the way through one to 50 in the book of Genesis and say, what is it all saying? And then how does some of these things really be, how, how can we see them in the book of Revelation? How can we see things fall apart so badly in Genesis chapter 3, but then there's this promise made right there in Genesis 3.15. There's this promise made that, hey, I've got you. I've got you. I've got a plan. It's going to get messy. It's going to turn super sideways on humanity. Things are going to get bad. They're going to look bleak. But just know that I've got a plan. And he's going to repeat that in Genesis 12. He's going to repeat it 
with, Genesis, uh, with Abraham in Genesis 15. And you're going to see that echoed in the prophets. You're going to see that in the hope of the Psalms, right? The yearning of the Psalms. You're seeing this hope, this promise. Lord, where is this promised one? And you're going to see Jesus show up. And then John the Baptist is going to announce this is what it's all about. Jesus Christ is saying, look, I'm the hope for promise that was talked about so long ago. And then you're going to see what he does on the cross to, to bring this story really to fruition. And then again in Revelation, because you're going to see so many parallels that we're going to constantly be bringing out. Because I want you to see just how foundational this book is. I want you to see what all began in the book of Genesis. Because Genesis really should in us create this sense of awe. It should like inspire us in a way. It should create wonder in us. And reverence. And then ultimately it should land in worship because we're talking about the one that started it all. Like that literally started it all and will finish it all. We'll have the final word, the alpha, the omega. We're gonna draw all that stuff out just so we can see some of that stuff as we go along. And like I said, I want to do this in a conversational way. Uh, I don't want you to think like, oh, I would love to ask that question, but man, I just, it's a dumb question or it's a basic question. Like, I don't want any of that. If you've got a question about the book of Genesis as we go through, again, I want you to save this number uh, as the Quaybog Church hotline. I don't know what you want to save it as, but the, you know, the question center, I don't know what you save it as, but um, this number though, I, is, I see is a, like a, a lifeline, you know, in this series to just be able to say, let's walk this road together. That's really, really important. So I want you to take advantage of this. And if you have questions, uh, I can't promise I'll drill down into every question, uh, especially if we get a lot, but I do want to be able to include everyone in what I see really as a conversation of learning together and walking this journey together. Because I guarantee I'll be learning some stuff as I go. But as with most series, when we start a series off and then carrying us through most of the time, at pretty much all the time, I have a question I want us to consider. This is no different. For Genesis chapters 1 through 3, which is going to be part 1 for us, uh, where it all began, uh, I want us to be considering this about these chapters especially. What is God revealing about himself to us in Genesis 1, 2, and 3? That's our first section. It's going to take us nine weeks to do and be looking at this in this question. Each week we'll bring this up and say, okay, God, what are you actually saying about yourself in the creation account? What can I learn about you? Because again, if, if God's given us Genesis 1-1, and that's a statement about himself, then that must be important. There must be something that God is revealing about himself. Because Genesis is not a textbook. Genesis is not a science book. It's not a history book. It is a theological book that has some sciencey stuff in it, some definite historical stuff in it, but it's a theological book where God is saying, this is who I am, this is what I've done, and this is the relationship really that I desire with you. In the book of Genesis, you're going to see God making some profound statements about himself that if you understand them well, like I said, the rest of the Bible is going to start clicking into a little bit better place, right? You're going to see God's original intent. You're going to see his original heart for humanity, and you're going to understand that we cannot get ourselves back into Eden, right? As much as we try with our own morality, our own good works, our own trying to make things right, looking, at, looking across the global landscape, we're not doing such a good job of getting ourselves back to Eden, are we? We're just not getting there. And so God, what you see in the Bible is him kind of bringing us a little bit closer. And again, and then again, and again, like, and then these people that are stubborn and he's bringing us back because that's what his heart is. 
And then you see in the book of Revelation, again, that connection to Revelation of him gathering everything. And it's like, and finally he makes it right. And he will invite us back into Eden as only he can. So again, there's these, these huge themes that I don't want us to miss because what we've done in my fear, what we've done with the book of Genesis, especially these chapters, particularly chapters one and two, is we made them a war over, was it 24 hours or not? What's going on, God? Right? And we just want to fight each other over it. And we want to split churches over it. And I'm like, you know, when God was like, hey, this is what I want the world to know about me, I suspect it was a little bit more than just 24-hour little segments of time. I suspect God is revealing something unbelievable about himself, just mind-boggling about himself, right? So we need to get... During this series, I want to push you not to just think through the lens of, well, this is what I've always been taught or well, this is what I've always been known. I'm not launching into this series or even into this summary Sunday to just be, try to be like, I'm going to teach everything different. I'm not doing that. But here's where my heart is for you. And here's where I want you to think as we go through this. And sometimes is maybe I push up against things that you're not familiar with or you don't agree with even. And that's okay. I want you to think to yourself, does scripture actually say that? Whatever I believe about Genesis, whatever I believe about the patriarchs, whatever I believe about Joseph and suffering and pain and uh, happiness and fulfillment, whatever I believe about those things, whatever I believe about God, is Genesis actually saying that? And if Genesis is saying that, again, taking us back to our question, what does that actually mean about God? Again, it's not a fact book. We're not just here in a class trying to study, you know, the history of Genesis, no, it's like this is a theological book where God's telling us incredibly important truths about himself that affect the lives that you live every single day. Because again, if, if you really acted like God was in charge of everything, I imagine your life would look slightly different, right? Not that we're perfect, but I imagine if you took God seriously in these opening verses that we're going to look at today, and again, today is just an overview of Genesis, but if we take him seriously, what would your life look like? How would your spouse feel differently about you? How would your employer feel differently about you? How would your employees feel differently about you, right? How would the people that you disagree with politically, ooh, we got to go there today, right? How would they feel about you? The people that follow you on social media, what do they think about you? Do they say that's a person that's all in with God and that's a person that understands that the God's in control, right? These are the, the, these are the things we get to do. And, and with our lives, with our time, with our voices. And you're going to see all this in Genesis because this stuff happens in Genesis, right? No, they didn't have social media. They didn't have YouTube. They didn't have 24-hour news cycles just churning out fear and hate. But they did have life. They did have messy people. They did have issues. They had rape. They had abandonment. They had dissension and lies and deceit within families, right? They had real heartache and real pain. And God just keeps meeting people in those spaces. And so you see a God that, again, is chasing after a relationship, the intent of creation and what he was doing, what he means. All that stuff lands really heavily in most of our lives because I know a lot of us are carrying some pretty heavy burdens, right? Whether we admit it or not, COVID was pretty traumatic for pretty much everybody, right? And most people just want to get back to normal. They just want to get back to the way it used to be. Imagine being kicked out of Eden. It's kind of traumatic, Right? Like, yeah, you had perfection in paradise, but now you're done, right? And so how do you heal from that trauma, right? And then the, the choices that we make and the consequences, all that stuff are things that we're going to talk about during this series. Because 
We often think of this book, Genesis, as where it all began. But again, that question of where what began, it's not just creation. There's a a whole entire storyline that gets carried out through Scripture. And that's what I want us to be able to look at. And during this intro today, I want to look at some of those themes. Because as as you've seen each and every week, the kids have been talking constantly about what they thought about the Bible, about Genesis, right? And what I think is really actually very interesting for me is that how many of our kids know so much about Noah and the ark, you know? Once I started actually reading the Bible and I read the story of Noah, I was like, why are we putting that in our kids' rooms? That's like the most traumatic story in the Bible. They're like, oh, the little animals. But I was like, yeah, but what about all the other people and animals? Like, that's a horrible story. You know, and like, I remember just being, I don't even know what I was, like a late teenager. And I remember thinking like, well, that doesn't seem like a very fun thing, you know, to put in your kid's room. But everybody knows that story, right? That's just, just even people that aren't going to church. It's like just, the, I don't know, the, the Noah theme is such a, a popular theme. And so what stories do you think about, though? Uh, and what mark have they left on you? Because here's the danger. Here is the absolute danger when you read the Genesis stories is they are so well known and almost any children's Bible is going to have a bunch of these people and a bunch of their stories in there. And if we're not really, really careful, we're going to outgrow the book of Genesis and we are going to start to do what people are doing nowadays and deconstructing their faith because that's just for kids because we've relegated these stories to just children's stories. And so children's stories fairy tales don't have a lot of impact when your life falls apart. You know, I'm not like, I'm not thinking about Mother Goose, right? When somebody dies in my life, I'm like, well, you know, like Mother Goose said, you know, I'm not doing that. I'm not thinking about that one lady or dude, whoever it was that lived in the shoe, right? And all the kids that were running around, seems kind of crazy, but you know, like all these little children's stories, it's like, they're all irrelevant when life comes and when it's time to grow up. And if the danger is if we leave these stories as just children's fairy tales, that's all they are to us. And they don't land in our life in the way that God meant for them to land. They don't reveal God in the pain. They don't reveal a God that walks with us and understands that tension and that loss and the grieving and the beauty and the awesome and the tops of the mountains and everything in between. If we don't understand Genesis for what it is, that's the danger is that We just think it's a bunch of stories rather than literally where our story began. And if we absorb Genesis in the way I think that it was intended and the meaning behind it, I think that's that's a faith that can grow with us. That's like that's a that's a faith that can grow into the 21st century and everything that goes with it today and where we live and what we see on TV, what we see in our social media feed and what we see in our homes. The other cool thing about the book of Genesis is that you're you see all three major faiths tie their roots back into the book of Genesis. So the, the, the people of the book, as we're all called, Christians, Jews, and those who follow Islam, all trace their roots right back into the book of Genesis. Now, here's what's interesting. So 4,000 years ago, Abraham makes a mistake. Abraham tries to rush the promise. You ever done that? You ever tried to, yeah, you ever thought God wanted you to do something and you're like, I'm going to do it right now, Lord. And he's like, but you got to wait. And you're like, or five minutes ago, let's do this. That's like, that is Abraham, right? That is Abraham. He's going to make the promise happen, whether God wants it to or not. And so he does this, and God says to Abraham, again, a couple thousand or 4,000 years ago, he says to Abraham, look, this mistake that you made, rushing this, now you've got Isaac and you've got Ishmael. And in Genesis, and we'll be there in, you know, a few months, he says, look, these two lineages are never going to get along. 
they're always going to be at war. And here we are 4,000 years later, and Jews and Christians trace back through Isaac, and of course Islam traces back its spiritual heritage back through Ishmael, right? And so still, 4,000 years later, we have these two family lines that cannot get together, cannot agree, still at war. So next time you make a mistake or commit a sin, you can cut yourself a little slack because it's probably not going to affect 4,000 years of human history, right? But that's what we see in him, right? But there's very real consequences, and that's why we should take sin seriously because we just don't know the outcome. We don't know the consequence of that. So we see that the beginning even of these three major faiths and just the schism that would be created, we see that beginning in Genesis as well. So there's a ton of stuff here that's really fascinating to go through. But all that said, all those people, all those places, all those scenarios, the one person, though, that we are going to meet that makes a difference in all this is God. He is the absolute rock star of Genesis 1 through 3 and the entire Bible. But the focus, though, for us during this part of Genesis is to see what God is saying about himself. Because Genesis 1-1, probably one of the more popular verses of the Bible. Does anybody know what that says? In the beginning, God. Like, what if we just sat there for a second? What if we just got a little more meditative and prayerful about those four words? Because, like I asked earlier, if you really believe that the one that's going to be talked about in all of the Bible is this one right here, if you really believe that, it's going to affect how you read the rest of the Bible. And it's going to affect how you interpret those things. If you're like, I don't know, that sounds kind of crazy. In the beginning, the God that we're talking about created the universe. You can't get much crazier than that. Everything else is kind of small fries in the Bible after just speaking the universe into existence. But we're like, I don't know, a floating axe head. That doesn't seem right. Genesis 1.1, oh yeah, of course, yeah, God spoke the universe into existence, but an axe head floating out of the water, I don't know, seems a little dubious, I'm out, right? So if we really get this though, because I want you to really consider this, if God says, this is where I want the story to start, Moses, this is what I want people to know first, that in the beginning, God, that's, an, that's a profound statement that we can easily read over because it's a familiar verse, but that means that before there was anything else, Anything else, there was absolutely nothing. There was only and absolutely God. So what I'm talking about, what God is proposing here, is that he is the one powerful enough to exist outside of everything. He doesn't need anything at all. And yet he wanted something. He wanted something. That's, that's a profound thing. There's so many people that feel worthless that they feel awful about themselves. They don't feel like they've got a place in this world or an identity that matters. They don't feel like they've got anything worth giving. They have zero value, and we're watching it destroy a whole generation of people. And I wonder, if we understood this, and we lived this out, and we actually shared this with people and said, no, 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 let me tell you a story. It starts in the beginning, and there's this God who doesn't even need us, but he wanted us. Because that's what you're going to start to see trickle out of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. I would love for you just to think about that and just dwell on that for a little bit. Because those four words communicate so much that can be so easily missed. And in the other part of Genesis 1-1, he talks about what does this God do that just existed outside of everything. Genesis 1, you see creation begin. Because what did this God do? 
He created the heavens and the earth. Again, wildly profound, like just wildly profound. Because he is saying that not only does he exist outside of time and matter and space, because what does that mean? Explain what it means to exist outside of time, space, and matter. I have no idea. None. Right? No idea how to even wrap my mind around that. Not only does he do that, but he's powerful enough to create the universe. He's powerful enough just to speak it into existence. So there was nothing there. And then I love, I love science. Science is always very fascinating to me. And then all of a sudden we figure out, not long ago, the 60s or so, that, oh, there was a beginning of the universe. And God was like, yeah, I know I've been saying it for thousands of years, right? I've been trying to get you guys to understand that. It's right, the very first book, like the very first verse, literally. I said it right away, you know? And so it's like, yes, we can see that and we can even see it expanding. And there's all these cool things about the universe. But God had to be outside of that. And sometimes I can get lost in thinking about that. Like, cause just to be a, a, a being that's powerful enough to be outside of all the things that we wrap our minds around and then to be powerful enough to just speak it into existence and not only that, but again, here's the, the kind of the unspoken thing here. Where this goes by verse 27 in this very chapter is that he did all this with the intention of having you here on earth. People. People. And the garden he creates for them is for relationship with people. And the whole story that just kind of spills out after that, the trauma, right, of just sin and what we do to each other and how we think and how we feel, all these things that come pouring out of Genesis 3, you got to remember the intent was relationship. You want to talk about value and meaning and purpose? Man, I bet if we live that out and we really believe that in our souls, that this very God here that we're about to talk about had us in mind when he did it all, man, that changes the way that you look at yourself. And then what does this result in, right? What does all this result in? It's the, our call to worship that we read together this morning. So the Psalms, right? The Psalms are these powerful poems of suffering and injustice and hurt. And then also the Lord, he is so great. I love him. He does all this great stuff. Yay. And everything in between, right? That's the Psalms are these very, very heartfelt, just outpourings of emotion. And so when the psalmist in Psalm 33 is thinking about creation and he's pondering all the stuff that he sees around him, he starts in the heavens, he goes to the earth and it leaves him with this feeling that I hope that we can be left with when we look at Genesis in the creation account. So he says in verse 6, The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. You can just almost feel the psalmist trying to wrap his mind around that. Like he's just looking up, right? This simple psalmist looking up at the universe and being like, man, all this stuff got here by a God that can just speak it into existence. Verse 7, he gathers the water, so now he's looking around him. He gathers the water of the sea into a heap, and he puts the depths into storehouses. Just, he's just blown away by what he's looking around and seeing. He's, he, what he's doing here, in case you miss it, is he's taking the time to actually look around. Will you do that today? Will you leave? I don't know if it's going to be sunny for the next week or two, but, you know, when you, do, when you go outside, will you take a moment to be a little more contemplative, a little bit more worshipful? Like, wow, look at all this. All this is just, like, so finitely put together. You know, scientists that don't even believe in God, they're like, it's odd that there's this appearance of creation in the universe. It's odd that the universe seems to be fine-tuned for life here on Earth. That is an odd thing. Unless, of course, God created the heavens and the Earth, right? Unless there was intention behind that, and there was meaning and value behind that. And so he gathers the water. He's just blown away, just observing everything around him. And then this is where it goes in his heart. And this is, I think, it'd be helpful for us. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. 
I've heard it said before that, man, our God is good, but he's not necessarily safe. You know, there should be a little bit of fear. When you have that kind of power, when you can do the things that God does, the psalmist was left with this feeling like, oh my goodness, man, like you can't get too comfy with a God that has that kind of power, right? And at the end of the day, let us, because of that, let us stand in awe of him. Because at the end of the day, God did that because he had his eyes on us. He had his eyes on relationship right in the middle of the pain. And we're going to see bunches of that in the book of Genesis. Right in the middle of everything, God says, a God like me wants a relationship with a person just like you. It's a profound statement, right? There's a many, so many amazing things I love that come out of this. So some other themes. Again, big, big, big view today of the book of Genesis. What are some other big themes that we see? One, in light of all these things that we're talking about, is divine providence. It's a big fancy Bible word, big fancy Bible phrase. really just means the care of God for two things, his creation and people. So God's going to make a promise. Like I said, in Genesis 3, things fall apart. Adam and Eve reject God, and, they, and he says, all right, but I got a plan. There's going to be somebody that makes all this right. Because there's going to be for a long time now, because just the way that this is going to work out, things are going to get sideways. People are going to reject me. They're going to reject what's good. It doesn't take very long before people are calling what is evil, what is good, right? And people today, again, we bemoan. We're like, oh my gosh, everybody nowadays, we say what's good is bad and what's bad is good. It's like it literally happened in Genesis 4, right? So it's everybody, we got to stop. We should be the most realistic people in the world because the Bible gives us a very accurate account of what people can be like, right? So we shouldn't be like, oh, it's so bad today. It's not. Genesis 4, go there and read. Genesis 3 and 4, just go read there. And you'd be like, oh, okay. From the beginning, it's been kind of rough right? And so God warns his people, it is going to get tough. It is going to get bad, but I will be there caring for you, carrying my promise forward. And I want you to know that. And this one here, this next one was something that I, I wasn't sure I was going to include or not, but it's the value of hardworking grit. And uh, I wanted to kind of cut that out of the overview. And it's certainly something we'll hit as we go along. And here's where, here's where I want us to slow down and think. Because some people are like, these kids nowadays, they don't have any work ethic. They don't have any grit. And it's like, okay, I see what you're saying. But where did that come from? Where are the adults in their life? Right? Are there any healthy adults that are like, that are instead of pointing the finger, we're like, hey, you know what? This kid doesn't have much work ethic. He doesn't really know what's going on. Maybe I can come alongside him. Maybe I can say, like, I know and I've learned the value of hard work and grit. My life has been difficult. And I've had to lean into God. And I've had to work really hard to get through some of the difficulties that I've been in. And you know what? I can share that with this kid who seems to be completely lost. Maybe he doesn't have a dad. Maybe he doesn't have a mom. Maybe he doesn't have any adults in his life. Who knows? Maybe she has no good influence, whatever the case may be. But the lack of hard work, if we want to bemoan the next generation, that thing came from somewhere. And I bet it was my generation and the generations older than me. Like, we have a part to play in this. But not just, just aside from that, though, another thing you see in the book of Genesis, when I say hard work and grit, is people that are willing to push through and do things they don't want to do. When I define hard work ethic for my son, who, of course, when you're a little boy, you don't want to hear those words, right? When you're a little boy, you don't want to hear, hey, Bayer, come give me a hand for a minute, because that means like the next six hours of your life are just, you know, going to be sweating, um, you know? And, uh, but what I try to teach him is like, dude, hard work ethic is not something necessarily you just have. Like good work ethic means I don't want to do this and I'm going to do it anyway because it's the right thing to do and I need to do it. But that doesn't mean just going out and like doing manual labor. It means when I come home and I feel like being a jerk to Brittany, that I don't be a jerk to Brittany, right? When I want to say something that I know is just short because I'm tired 
or because somebody else has been hassling me or I've had a bad day or I'm hungry or, you know, whatever the thing might be. I have to say, nope, I'm going to work hard in my marriage because marriage is hard work. There's a reason half of all marriages in the church and outside of the church in America, not just Quaybog, but church in general in America, there's a reason half of them end in divorce. We don't want to work hard. We don't. We don't want to have grit. There's one person at least in that relationship that's just not willing to do the work that they need to do. So hard work also applies to our marriage. It also applies to how you are with your kids or how you are with your friends or how you are with commitments that you've made. Like, I've made a commitment, and so I'm going to make sure I do that to the very best of my ability, whatever the commitment was. These are things I do believe honor God, and they're themes that you see all across the Bible, but especially here in Genesis. It's people working hard, doing things they don't want to do, following calls that they're not sure about, but saying, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. That's one big one that stuck out to me. And I almost didn't mention it, but uh, I, just, I think it's healthy for us. Uh, another group that we're going to meet in here are these weird creatures called humans. Um, we're going to meet them. They get introduced in the story pretty quickly because, again, that was the purpose. And there's a verse that goes along with humans, though, because if you look at the Old Testament, if you look at the New Testament, you know, Jesus and everything after him, and if you look at particularly here where it all began, you see that people are very, very um, capable of sin, we'll say. Right? They're very, very capable of choosing the wrong thing. However, what I love about Genesis is it shows the great capacity for humans to do amazing things as well. So it shows our capacity kind of in two different directions. And this is something that I think is healthy for us to understand. Every person, every single person, regardless of their, that, what you see in them, their capacity one way or the other, every single person was created in whose image? In God's image. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. They proclaim what? Or they display, depending on your translation, his handiwork. So the heavens reflect the glory of God, but we reflect God himself, right? We, you, you reflect God himself just by being a person. And there's innate dignity in that, whether you're in the womb or whether you're in a nursing home. There should be the same amount of dignity given to those people all across the board. So when we're talking about things like sexuality, when we're talking about things like gender, when we're talking about things like abortion, these things are really hard. And how, do, how is our culture handling these talks? We're doing pretty well, right? No, no, absolutely not for anybody that's not paying attention. No, we're, we're doing an awful job at this. And again... The impact that this is having on us, the, the lack of understanding that people have dignity because they're created in the image of God, I think is having a real detriment to our society and our ability to actually have compassion on one another. Because we're going to screw up and we're going to do bad things to each other, right? But we don't live in a world anymore where we can discuss issues. We don't live in a world anymore where forgiveness is really given. We're just, I'm going to cancel you, right? The way that we treat each other online, I think, I think... It's very indicative of the fact that we've lost sight of Genesis 127. Because if you look at Genesis 127, it says, So God created them in whose image? In his own image. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. So when you're entering into very difficult conversations, your first thought should be, this person I'm talking to was created in the image of God. Well, they hate me. They're my enemy. All right. If they hate you and they're your enemy, Jesus gave us a formula for that too. 
love them and pray for them because they're created in the image of God. I think the, like we, if you're a Christian and if you're not and you're curious about what it's all about, we should be the group that is setting a, a really healthy tone in this, how we treat people, how we talk to people. Because see, this is where my, my frustration can come from. When we look at the book uh, that is the Bible as if it's just like a bunch of information, there's not, there's not much of a compelling reason to live this stuff out. If it's just a book of like morals and stories and stuff like that, it's not very compelling to want to live this out. Unless you understand that in the beginning, God, right? Unless you really think, okay, he gave us this stuff because this says something that is incredibly important for us here in this life. It's not just about the afterlife and heaven and all that. It's like, no, God said this is going to affect your everyday lives, you know? And it's gonna, it, there's going to be massive trauma if you just want to do it your own way or if you forget that people are created in the image of God. Like, this is hugely important. But again, if we're not seeing this for what it is, it's not super compelling. And the humans that we meet in Genesis are awful. Just, just as a spoiler alert. Most of the people that we're going to meet are a total mess. They really, really are. Because some of the people that we're going to meet are the patriarchs, right? The patriarchs, the, uh, the, often a critique of the Bible is that, man, the people that are in your Bible, your holy people, are awful people. So if you get hit with that, you can just be like, yeah, right, aren't they? But man, isn't God good in the midst of their stupidity, in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their foolish decisions? And man, aren't I kind of like them, right? There's a humility that comes with studying scripture and understanding these people aren't always put forward as a model to live by. Because the patriarchs, of course, you've got Abraham who starts the story and you've got Isaac, Jacob, people we're going to meet, Joseph and their families. And as we go through this, if you are a person today that has a messy family, or if you're watching online and you've got a messy family, you're going to find really good company in the book of Genesis. Because whatever you want to say about your family, you're going to be like, oh man, they were way worse. And they were killing each other. They were raping each other. They were like, they, things got really out of hand for this family, right? For these people, sin and it was just destructive in these people. You know, you got liar, you got, you know, a guy, yeah, liar. He picked up the path of his dad, Abraham, there. And you got Jacob, of course, his name means deceiver, so that's not good, right? And then you got, like, all of his kids, all 12 of his boys, and the things that they did. And, like, he's intermarrying with these women, and he's got mixed families, and that creates all kinds of tension. And they're, like, on and on and on. And in the midst of all that, you've got the goodness of God saying, no, I made a promise to Abraham, and I'm going to keep pulling these people back. I'm going to keep pulling these people back in spite of themselves, which is really, really interesting. And for me, it does leave me with hope that God will work with people like this. I bet he'll work with a guy like me. Right? So, yes, broken families. If you're in that crowd, you're going to find uh, company in these people. And then because of that, you're also going to see consequences. And in Financial Peace University, if you weren't sure what Ed was talking about when he got up here and he talked about Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University is really just a whole path toward building wealth, managing wealth, so that, those are the important words, so that you can be generous to other people. Right? So what you see in the Bible is God saying, I want you to be a really good steward with what I give you. I want you to manage this well, this, this wealth, this money, so that you can be a blessing to other people. That's, like, that's the way of like, following Jesus, is to be a generous person financially. And so we've been talking a lot about that. Because in Proverbs 13, he says, I want you to be such a good manager of the wealth that I give you that you can bless your grandkids, man. Like, that's the kind of person that I want to be myself, and it's the kind of person I want you to be, because that's, that's what God wants from us. Manage your money so well, live below your means so much, 
that you can bless your grandkids. And I'm not talking about leaving them a million dollars. You know, it could be a legacy of how to manage your money. It could be a few hundred bucks. It could be a thousand. It could be a million. I don't care what it is. But it's like, I want to live in such a way that my, my choices affect in a positive way, in a godly way, two generations later, three generations later, four generations later. But we also see in the book of Genesis really uh, some pretty serious catastrophe as far as the consequences of their sinful choices. Because we do need to take those seriously as well. And I hope as you read this, you're like, okay, what choices am I making and what, uh, what impact are they not only having on me, but how are they affecting other people? And I care about that. I want to answer that question because they're made in the image of God. I want to try to apologize when I screw up. Why? Because I take sin seriously, right? And I want to, I want to make things right. I want the consequences to be that I apologize or that I try to make that right or whatever the thing is. Because in the middle of all that, speaking like of sin and, and consequences, what I love the balance and what we're going to see in the book of Genesis is this balance between sin and redemption. It's like every time it happens, every time there's a rejection of God's way and his goodness, there's also God like right there, pretty quickly behind, like giving a, a way out, giving a different option, like pulling, convicting, speaking through somebody. You see that. There's this, this God again. He's, he's in it for relationship. And how, how does that impact the way that you walk with him? That he really honestly desires that you would follow him and that you would see blessing in your life because you're like, no, no, I take these, these very, very important foundational principles in Genesis. I take them really seriously because I, I see how they're coming to fruition in my own life. And I see my story maybe in the story of Genesis. And then there's God in the midst of pain. What I think is one of the hardest things about Genesis is it's not just those first early chapters. It's not just up to chapter 11, right? Because that's kind of how Genesis breaks down, is 1 through 11 and 12 through 50. It's, it's this story that really is just wrought with pain and difficulty. There's a lot of betrayal in the book of Genesis. A lot of betrayal. And people having to fight through that stuff and lean on God through that stuff. There's unfairness. Like, awful things happen to people that they had no control over. And that's why Joseph, I think, is such a powerful story, is because a lot of unfair things happened to Joseph. And he made the decision. He was going to say, no, I'm going to be about my God being here in the midst of my pain. Because here is the culture that we live in 100%. If there is suffering in your life, there can be no goodness of God in your life. Like, that is a message a lot of people get tripped up on, whether they realize it or not. They're like, Lord, if you love me, why is my life so difficult? Whereas in Genesis, what we see people asking is, Lord, I know you how good you are. Will you please give me the strength to get through this? It's what you see in the book of Psalms. Lord, this is awful, but I know how good you are, and I know you'll get me through this, whatever that may look like. Right? You see that a lot in these early chapters of Genesis, and you see it in the Bible a lot. But a lot of us, because of the culture that we live in, we think, well, there can't be any difficulty, because if there is, if there's suffering and unfairness, then either God doesn't exist or he's not a good God. And the truth you see in Genesis is no, suffering will exist, and there is a good God that can coexist in that and step into that space. That's why Jesus came to earth. Just in case we missed it in Genesis, Jesus shows up and he says, look, I get what you're going through, and I want you to know that the God that created the universe understands you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says that, right? Now, because of what Jesus did, I can step boldly to the throne of God, and I can find grace and mercy when I need it most. Hebrews also says, we don't have a high priest who doesn't understand us. He walked the same roads that we did, and yet without sin. 
we have a creator who understands so much so that he came here to show us. He came here to prove it because he's about that relationship. He's about being there in the midst of that difficulty. Because we're going to read out of Genesis 45, just a couple of verses. But I want you to think about Hagar and Ishmael. I want you to think about Esau's own foolish choice and how it wrecked his life. Right? It totally changed the course of his life, and yet God blessed him. You think about the tension between Rachel and Leah. Some of these major stories and characters that we know from the Bible, and yet they're walking out difficulty. They're walking out unfairness sometimes. And so in Genesis 45, he says this. Joseph does, in response to his brothers who have showed up, in response to the treachery, he says, I am Joseph, your brother. He reveals himself. Surprise, surprise to them, right? The one you sold into slavery in Egypt. Yeah, remember that when you did that to me? Man, wasn't that a fun practical joke? Yeah, it was good times. Yeah, it's me, that same guy. And now don't be grieved though, right? Because he's in a position where he could totally crush them. But he says, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here. And this is like, this is where the life of faith comes to fruition. Because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. Joseph was able to live through so much unbelievable hardship, difficulty, and unfairness. And he, and he never took his eyes off of God. That's the incredible thing about Joseph, is he went through so much, and he had a life lived, built on faith. And so when he came to these moments, he was ready for it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going to be way later, and we're not going to get into them in Genesis. But same thing, when their moment came, their famous moment came, their life had been built on faith in God. When David has to stand before Goliath, his life was built on faith in God. When his moment came of difficulty and unfairness, he was ready for it. We know these people because of the life that they lived in faith. Not because of the moment necessarily, but because of what happened beforehand that made them ready for the moment. Joseph was able to see this through the lens of what God was ultimately doing. And he says in verse 6, For the famine has been in these land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. And God sent me, right? I was sold into slavery and almost killed. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. That's a really difficult statement to make. Could you say that in the midst of the most difficult thing that you've ever been through in your life? To say, no, no, I get it. God put me here. And there's a reason for it. In the beginning... God, right? Like God is actually in charge and God will meet you in these difficult places and sometimes call us to difficult places. That's hard, but that's what Joseph realizes here. He made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler over all of Egypt. And then, of course, you see at the end, Genesis 50, when his brothers come to him, he restates that. He says, look, guys, I know th this is pretty awful. And they try to convince him. They try to butter him up a little bit in Genesis 50. They come and they say, they come before him and they say to one another, look, if Joseph is holding a grudge, he's going to repay us for all the suffering we caused him. They know what they did. So they sent this message to Joseph. Here they're trying to butter him up a little bit. Before he died, your father, remember the father that you really loved? Remember that you were like really close. You and your dad, man, you really loved him. Remember that? He says, he said to you, say this to Joseph, please forgive your brother's transgression and their sin, the suffering that they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. So Joseph, he weeps when their message came to him. 
And his brothers also came to him. They bowed down before him. They said, we are your slaves. But Joseph says, look, and this is where forgiveness, this is where reconciliation really is seen in a beautiful way. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And that's a good question for you to ask yourself. Who are you unforgiving of? Because if you're unforgiving somebody, you want to punish that person. That's like, if you can't let something go, a lot of times it's because you haven't had your chance to make it right, to punish them. And Joseph understands, like, look, it's not my position to punish you. Yes, there's consequences for our sin. I'm not saying, like, people don't need help accountable. But if you can't forgive somebody, that's because you still want to hold on to that right to punish them. And it will eat you alive. That's why it's talked about so much in the Bible, forgiveness and how important that is, right? So he says, am I in the place of God? No. You planned this evil against me, and God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. He can see God in the midst of his suffering. He can see God in the midst of everything that's going on. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Major, major themes. And then ultimately what you see born here, what, the beginning of what? The beginning of what? To take us back to that question. The beginning of the plan of salvation. Well, God puts like, just a little bit in here, in this little nugget in Genesis 3, and then he keeps carrying it forward, is that God's got a plan of salvation. When things go immediately wrong because of sin, he says, I, I know what's going on, and I've got a plan. And that's why we're going to talk a lot about Revelation during this, is just keep bringing us back there, that God does have a plan. Life is full of suffering, but there's a plan of salvation for this life and for the next. And you're going to see the beginnings of all of that in this incredible book called Genesis. Right? So we're going to take a pretty cool journey together over the next while, but certainly over the next eight weeks, we're going to be in, the, or nine weeks, we're going to be in Genesis 1 through 3, just exploring and getting in a little deeper fashion some of these themes and what they actually mean for us. Because that's what I think God has, has told us these things for. Not so we can argue and bicker over small details and say, what is God saying about himself and about us, about sin, about salvation, redemption, about your fellow human beings? Amen? That's what we've got. All right, let me pray. Lord, I thank you for today. Jesus, I thank you for your word. It's a powerful, powerful thing to hear from the creator of the universe, Lord, to know that before anything happened, there was you and that you spoke it all into existence, Lord. Help us have a heart like the psalmist in Psalm 33, just to be, just, <laughs> to be careful, Lord, of that kind of uh, power, uh, but to be in awe of that kind of power and to know that we have access to that kind of power because of what you did for us, Jesus Christ. Uh, it's an unbelievable. It's a crazy story, Lord, that you've written for us. I just pray that you speak into our lives, though. Help us to see what the Word is revealing about you and about us, about our relationships, Jesus Christ, even about our sin and about redemption and salvation. All these things, Lord, speak ways that only you can. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you're going to bless the people here, bless people watching, Lord, those that know you and those that don't know you, Jesus. God, that you're going to speak through right to our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that we're going to go out and those of us especially that know you are going to reflect you. And I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ. And his church said, amen. amen. It's great seeing you all this week. We love you. God bless. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.